and welcome to Tabletop Game Talk on Topic, a show where we talk about tabletop gaming topics of all kinds. I'm one of your hosts, Fletcher. I'm Kitty. And I'm Chris. Today we're talking about paying to play games. This can mean two things, really, and we'll cover both. The first is paying to play games at a game store or cafe, and the other is what some call paying to win, but this is common with competitive card games or miniature games. But first, as always, a thank you to our Patreon friends of the show, Adam Harrison and the SGC, and a thank you to all of our other patrons as well. So this is take two of this episode. We got about 20 minutes in, and Chris gives me a big timeout symbol on the recording. Somehow I felt like I should sign that for no reason. Yeah, because, you know, you didn't want to interrupt the conversation that you weren't recording. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so 160 episodes, um, you know, combine everything else we've done, over 200 episodes. And I think this is the first time that I wasn't recording, um, which means we've already talked about all of this. And therefore, we've really polished our opinions for you guys this yeah, time. They're so I good. Think, <laughs> so Chris, typically, if I had a guest, does maybe about 50 to 60 percent of the talking in an episode and I think we should have released this anyway, just to see like what Kitty and I say and just have Chris absolutely silent the entire time. I mean, our recordings still exist. We can drop that as Patreon only content. And so and then we'll just yeah, have this turd. <laughs> we'll squish the content down. So I'll just totally be out of it. All right, you guys send me the files. We'll put it on Patreon. Hi, future Chris here. So in case you haven't already noticed, Fletcher's audio is a little bit echoey, tinny, doesn't sound right. So it turns out that Fletcher also made a recording error in that when he was recording, he wasn't actually recording any sound. He just sent me a file that was 70 minutes long of silence. So he is coming from my Discord, which also has some extra artifacts in there. I've tried to do his editing as good as I could to make him sound as good as possible, but you'll have to forgive us on the sound quality on this one. Back to the show. Yeah, so we talked about, let's see, Fletcher's back. He went to Hawaii, yada, yada, yada. There was a holiday. Yep, I went to a vault tour in St. Louis. Um, great stuff. Yeah, all you these things. You forgot that you went to my house for Labor Day. Yep, we played Betrayal Legacy, but we may have talked about that last week, but who knows? You got a comment from a listener, Kitty, that was like, come by the game store in Minnesota, but it was already too late because it was a pre-recorded episode. I got an email that was a guy in Round Lake Beach who wants to play Gizmos, and I haven't responded to him. Well, I did today, but it took nine days to respond to him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for, for our listeners, we are fast forwarding through so that we can get back to actually talking about what we were talking about, which was a riveting conversation about paying to play games. And although we didn't talk about your vault tour experience this time, we didn't. Um, I feel like I should be penalized and no one should ever have to hear about my vault tour experience. We still have to do an intro. We can't just fast forward through our <laughs> intro because you forgot to record it, Chris. <laughs> fine, fine. That's true. That's true. Um, yeah. So Sydney and I and Doug and Dylan, we all drove down to St. Louis on Friday night for a Keyforge Vault Tour on Saturday. And we all entered. It was an Archon, which means bring your own deck. It was a relatively small, I want to say, not... I think it was less than 64 people because at the end of eight rounds, we had one person that was like six and oh. So there was technically a winner of day one, but the top eight went to day two. 
I almost made top eight. I The very last turn of my last game, I was locked in. I knew I had the win. All I had to do was make the right call, and I was cocky and just didn't actually think it through. I made the wrong call. He capitalized on it and then beat me. So I didn't go to round two or day two. But we did then play a teamed event, which was awesome. And the team event is you're playing... You don't play like against multiple people, but you have three people on one side on your team and the three people on the other side, and you're playing three separate games. And then the first team to win two wins the match. So... And so you were can these commu- like predetermined teams? Did you come in signed up as a three-person team or were they assigned to you that day? You sign up as a three-person team. So, and there was a lot so of people who got like... kicked off your team? You had four people. Right. Well, the first time Dylan was actually had a friend in St. Louis. So he left right after the vault tour. So we're like, oh, there's three of us. We can do this team thing. No problem. The second day, it was a sealed team event. And Dylan really wanted to do a sealed stuff. So um, Sydney went to another team where they had two people and they were looking for a third. And she's like, oh, I'll go play with them. They seem really cool. So then it was um, Dylan, Doug, and I. And then Sydney was with two new people. So did Sydney beat you guys or did you guys beat Sydney? Uh, We never actually played against each other. So our team was doing pretty good. We went three and one. Sydney's team went one and three. You, Doug, and Sydney seems like a too powerful team that should have been split up. So that one, we went three and one as well. So we were, (laughs) yeah, because I was playing, well, Doug and I were playing our vault tour decks, which are both, we went four and two, both went four and two. Sydney did not do well. I was in the Gen Con vault tour. Yeah. Sydney did not do well. So she switched out decks, and then her other deck did much better. So we were actually on fire for that one. But we we lost once. Um, I think it was came down to one. Doug wasn't paying attention. I blame Doug. He's like, I just Everything played. Everything should be Doug's fault, because yeah. he's not on a podcast, so it's easy to rag on him. <laughs> well, we played so many games. At that point, Like we were seven or eight like really highly competitive games in, and he, his, I'm like, my, his, like, my mind is fried. And it took him another two games before he's like, okay, now I can play again. So we had to carry him <laughs> a little bit. But that was a whole lot of fun. Drove back yesterday. And yeah, that was a long drive because then we had to drop Doug off, drive over to Sydney's parents, pick up Zachary, drive back here, and then Dylan had to drive back to his place. So it was a really long night. Oh, and that reminds me, Zachary has his first tooth coming through. Oh, that's super fun. We just noticed it today because he was just kind of hanging out and for some reason, Sydney had like he like put Sydney's finger in his mouth, and she's like, "Kids Whoa. chew on people's fingers. It's pretty normal." Yeah, at least in my family, <laughs> it's sharp and powerful. I'm like, I'm impressed, kid. Yeah, they only so, get more. It only yeah. gets worse. So, but yeah, that was it. How was your Hawaii, Fletcher? It was uh, pretty amazing. Went to a luau, sat on the beach, uh, bought a ukulele. Um... Did you take yeah, ukulele I mean, lessons? The the hotel actually offered a, a free ukulele lesson, um, but it's Carmen that actually wanted it, and she has been practicing like on and off for like the past couple of weeks. So she's getting uh, she's getting better. I mean, she's only, we've only had it for like two weeks, so but she's definitely like, progressed a lot further than I have. I feel like it's so much easier to learn instruments now with YouTube as a resource for you than it used to be. When I tried picking up instruments, like when I was in like high school and college, it was like you had to go like to Guitar Center and buy books and DVDs. 
<laughs> now that's like everything is just at your fingertips. Yeah. It's crazy. How to play the guitar. Step one, step two, play the guitar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but then you get so many like YouTube celebrities that can do it so much better than you, which is just ego crushing because I'm like, wait a minute. I, that's a six-year-old playing, like, I don't know, Led Zeppelin or something. I don't know music. But, yeah, I'd be like, no, I, I can't do this anymore. But what I can do is segue to our topic. <laughs> <laughs> Which is... Smooth. <laughs> yeah, aren't I saying that smooth? Right, um, before we get talking again, look at your yeah. recorder. Are the numbers correct? Yes, we're actually eight minutes and 40 seconds in. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> So today we're going to talk about paying to play games. And primarily this is, well, the first half is going to be talking about paying for, to play a game at a convention or at a game store at our gaming cafe. So we will start out talking about board games and then we'll talk about role-playing games because there's a difference between the value that we think those are. Actually, no, we're just going to reverse that. Let's first talk about role-playing games because that's easier. And then we'll talk about board games. Because that's what we did so, the first time. So, Fletcher, <laughs> would you pay to play D&D at a game store? And if so, how much would you be willing to pay? Yes, I would be willing to pay. And I forget what I paid. I think it was like five bucks or something like that. And it was, I don't know, three or four hours that we sat there. Um, but yes, I would be willing to pay. And I have done it. On the other side, if... And and you have you ever GM'd? No, uh, yeah, I, when I was a lot younger, I GM'd a few times, but not so if you, in, not in a decade. So if you had a six person table and each person was paying five dollars, so you're talking thirty dollars. I think that's math. Yep, is thirty dollars a reasonable compensation for you to run a four hour game? No, it's not. But you don't do it for the money. You, if the money is just kind of like a little stipend, really. Um, you do it because I mean I've I've GM before and I didn't get paid at all. Like you just do it because it's your turn to GM, or it's like I think I have a good story, and you know lots of D and D works that way too. You just people rotate, or you have someone like Chris that just actually likes to do it. <laughs> they, they prefer they prefer GMing. So I'm a really um, bad player. <laughs> <laughs> um, but people play that way and don't get paid. Maybe they what get paid about you? pizza. Or get paid in pizza. Actually, for when I was doing it for the game store, I would I would basically be doing it for the swag. Uh, DMs get a lot of extra stuff from like Wizards of the Coast, or at least when I was doing it, we did, and it was it was all like just kind of pointless stuff to have, but I liked having it, so I'm like, yeah, I want to do that. And you also got like copies of adventures that you couldn't get from any place else. So they they treated their DMs pretty well, especially the ones that you know DM'd on a regular basis. They would. They would do good at just compensating you with stuff as opposed to with money. Yeah, because if they compensated with you with money, it would have to be like minimum wage and you have to tax stuff and then you'd be like an employee or contractor. So they're just like a uh, gift card. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> book. <laughs> yeah. Once you start putting a monetary value on a DM, on a DM's time, then it gets a little bit more complicated. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Um, but first, Kitty, I'm interested. What would you be willing to pay? And where would you go to a game store and pay it? Would you pay more at a convention if you know if a convention game was ten dollars for a three hour game, but the game store was five dollars? Does that feel right, or would you pay ten dollars to go to a game store for three hours? 
I would pay to go to a game store. Um, I would pay for four hour kind of normal D and D Adventures League module, like in the three to six dollar range. Seems you know, I guess three to eight dollars. It's somewhere between like a dollar to two dollars per hour is kind of typical rate for these games. If you're looking at more creative games, if you're looking for original content, you're looking for something that you're not going to find at any given convention or any given game store, then I'm willing to pay a little bit more for it. And I think that that's fair compensation if you're paying more for the GM's, you know, like creativity and time. If you're just paying for time, that's one thing. But if you're paying for their, you know, their thought process, their creativity, the effort that they're putting into making a fun story and experience for you, that's worth more to me. That I'm I'm paying them to create this moment that I'm in more than I'm paying them to be at the table. So one of the reasons why I want to talk about this is I heard, and I, I don't know the exact details. I know I heard it on the um, Down With D&D podcast, but there's starting to be professional dungeon masters or game masters, depending on the game that they're playing. And that rate can be anywhere from like, you know, three to $500 for a session. Now that session's probably about four hours long. And it typically comes with a lot of set pieces. You know, there's scenery, like 3D terrain and that kind of stuff. Stuff that kind of pulls you in like you were talking about. And also, you can expect a certain level of quality of DM. This isn't just, you know, this is my first time or anything like that. They're, they are worth, well, at least they feel like they're worth being paid that amount of money. Would you ever consider that to pay like $300 for a four-hour session? And now, considering if it's a group of five or six, you know, you're paying like $50 or $60 each. I mean, I guess I guess that rate seems maybe a little bit steep. Um but it depends on like how good the experience is going to be. You know, like I would pay that much to go out to a really nice dinner. So if it's something that's going to, you know, take up more time and be more entertaining to me than that kind of situation, then I guess it's not, you know, a bad deal. Fletcher, you think you would? Yeah, I might do it just for the experience because that seems like it'd be kind of cool, like to see um, what the what the DM in this case does. And see what the you know production quality, I guess, and what they're doing. It's something that I would definitely like, maybe at least try once. I don't know if I could do it every week, but you know, it does seem kind of interesting. Well, and it sounds like they would do these things like at corporate events as well. Like they would come in and you know, for a team building event or something, you could hire him to run a Dungeons and Dragons game. For the first team. four hours is creating your character. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's team building, sure. <laughs> but I, I think that's interesting. Now, I've only ever taken money to DM, like, exclusively come here, run a game for me. I've only done it once, and it was for a birthday party for um, a group of 10-year-olds. I think there was, like, 10... 10-year-olds that I was running a game for. You took money from a group of 10-year-olds? Um, well, I took money from the birthday boy's parents, but yes. Ah, okay. So, and I think I said, it's like, oh yeah, like they just wanted you me to come. shaking down preteens. 
<laughs> well, they wanted me to come and run a game, and they're like, oh, just like, you know, hour and a half or so, or just to kind of, because he was in the D&D, and he wanted to have a D&D birthday party, and they bought all the kids, like, little uh, sets of polyhedral dice and stuff. So I'm like, sure. So it was actually fun. Um, Ten-year-olds are an interesting group, but especially when you have ten of them. But I enjoyed it. It was quite fun. And they gave me way more. They gave me like, I think, an extra $100 on top of that because it was about two hours. And I left them with uh, like some starter set stuff and things like that because, you know, it's the birthday boy. So um, which was still like I would do that again. I just have a hard time asking for money for doing something that I actually enjoy doing. And I'm afraid that if I did do that, it would become work. (laughs) So I did a little, you know, during the episode Googling here, which I know I'm not supposed to do, (laughs) (laughs) but I'm seeing a pretty big range in rates for what people charge for professional DMing. And it looks like the $300 to $500 range that you are quoting is like the really high end of this. It looks like there are people who will do this for more like 50, 60 bucks a session. And they're, you know... Everyone pays 10 to 20 bucks seems very reasonable to me. I would totally do that for, you know, a fun session because a lot of times me and my friends really all enjoy playing, but all of us are too busy to take on the role of DM because you do have to do the extra prep work. And if you're not going to run something that's pre-written campaign-wise, you know, you're coming up with a lot of extra time and energy on the outside Whereas somebody who is maybe doing this as a professional GM job, even if it's not their full-time job, they can run four sessions of the same prep work over a weekend, and then they have a full week before they can do the same thing. And they're making their money on you know playing it more than once. They don't have to come up with the same stuff over and over again, or like I guess they can use the same stuff over and over again. They don't have to come up with fresh content every single session necessarily it feels like 50 or 60 dollars is it feels like too low like i did it because it was a kid's birthday party and someone was just like came to me and said hey my kid played in your game at the game store and he would you know would we really like to have you over but if i was doing this for real i would probably have to like minimum of 50 dollars an hour to make it worth going there bringing all the stuff setting it up yeah so i would think if you were a four-person So somebody do the math for me because I'm throwing out numbers here, but I'm not thinking of them. So four-person party. So you have maybe four or five players. Each player wants to pay about $8 an hour to the GM. And then you're doing a four-hour session. What is that? Like, say there's five players. $128. (laughs) Yeah. You're dealing in binary. So seems... (laughs) I didn't mean to cater to your skills, but you're welcome. (laughs) So that seems somewhere in between the like extreme cheap and extreme like high end. And if I'm getting that level of, you know, it's good enough, it's fun, there's creative stuff coming out and they'll do it like, you know, more than once. It's not just a one-time experience. If I'm paying $500 to somebody, I expect it to be all out. I get to keep a custom miniature. I get to have you know, like fun sirenscape, something going on in the background, noises, there's flashing lights, like yeah, that I would kind of that. I mean, yeah, I'd pay that one time for a really cool adventure. 
But I'm not paying that on a week-to-week yeah. basis. And you're doing that as a special occasion, you know, like a bachelor party yeah. or something. Um, <laughs> I would Only agree. your bachelor party. <laughs> I, guess, I guess $50 an hour is a little extreme. $25 an hour is probably reasonable rate to say, yeah. okay, I will come out for a four-hour session. It's going to cost you $100 plus you know, a, a certain amount for travel time or expenses. So if you're an hour away, it's going to be an extra $10 both ways or something like that. And I would imagine for something of that rate, you would expect the players to have put in some work too. I want you all to have characters of this level ready to go. You should have a variety of player types, whatever it is, you know, and you can give those kind of... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The Oops All Paladin group I was part of was... <laughs> That was something else. <laughs> that would be awesome. But I mean, I would actually, I could see like doing a campaign that way and saying, okay, we're going to pay you $100 every other weekend to come out and run a campaign for us. And that's, you know, you have the same DM. The nice thing about that is the players can drive what they want. They're like, it's not up to the, and usually it's not anymore where the DM's like, this is my game and this is how it's going to be. The players can be like, this is the kind of game that we're looking for. If it's something that you can do, great. Um, we would we'll set up a subscription of playtime with you, and if you're a DM, yeah. you get a few of those description or subscriptions. You can actually do pretty well there. And it sounds to me like you guys wouldn't be against paying for something like that. You know, again, if you have five players, you're paying them a hundred dollars a session. That's twenty dollars each on a Saturday. That seems pretty reasonable for four hours of entertainment. Yeah, pretty much. It's, it's less than the price of a movie. Yeah, so. So I, I like when you're talking about hiring someone to entertain you, it feels normal. Now let's go and talk about the board game cafes and game stores charging time on the tables. Now, I, we don't see this a lot in game stores, although I think some do. They'll have like a table fee where you come in and you spend $5 and you can play games all night long. But in gaming cafes... More often than not, you do see some kind of either game rental or table rental fee. And for good reason. Like if you're trying to sell food and that's compensating for having people there, you don't want people just coming in, playing games all day long and not ordering anything from you. So having a table fee says, hey, there is value in having this table here. And if you're sitting here and not buying from us, then we're not making any money. So we have to kind of make that back. What do you feel about that? Where no one's teaching you anything, no one's facilitating, you're just coming in, maybe they have, you know, beer on tap, snack foods and stuff, but they're going to charge you $5 an hour for the group for the table. I have sort of mixed feelings on this. I mean, I wouldn't do it, but... I don't like the idea of paying for the table, but I would be fine to have like a two drink minimum per person. It's the same with like brunch, like anywhere you go, like if you're doing like a bottomless brunch, you go in there, you're expected to buy a dish per person to get the bottomless drink deal. That doesn't feel scammy to me. It feels like, yeah, this is they're just expecting you to treat it like normal. And if you're going to a restaurant where you can play games saying, you know, there's a meal per person minimum or there's a two drink minimum per person, whatever it is, feels like they're just setting out this is the expectation and it's normal um whereas saying you have to pay ten dollars for the table plus two dollars for every additional hour whatever it is um and we expect you to only buy our foods and drinks you can't bring in 
outside foods and drinks, then it's like kind of, I don't know, it it feels like they're double dipping. Maybe. Fletcher, you said you wouldn't? I wouldn't do that because I know there's like game stores around my area that don't do that. So if one did, I just wouldn't go there for that. I guess I guess I I don't value just a table space enough to like go and rent the table essentially, especially if there's not going to be any like teaching or anything else involved. But if there's if a I'm DM there, renting a table, what? But if there's a DM there, you're willing to pay for that, but not for yeah. just the table space to play a game on. That's right. So what if you added in where you have like a special event where hey. Come in eight o'clock on Tuesday, pre-selling tickets. It's gonna cost you, you know, eight dollars a person, but we're gonna teach you how to play cool new game X. Is that something that you'd actually pay? So now you're going and someone's gonna have a game set up, they're gonna teach you that game. Is that worth spending money on? I probably still wouldn't do that. And the reason is um there's probably a like watch it played or something like that on YouTube that's already there. Where I can get, you know, 80% of what I need from there. There's obviously not the feedback. And, like, you don't get to ask questions. And you don't get to play the game. But... (laughs) They might know the rules better than some of the people teaching these games. As somebody who has, I will say, unfortunately done a poor job at some (laughs) conventions teaching games. You know, sometimes, you know, the person who's there teaching, they're doing it because they're... They just want to be there. They're doing their best. They're having fun. They're not going to be as on top of the rule books as somebody who's, you know, in the midst of filming this video. It's really easy to pause, check the rule, make sure you're following the rule books, like, step by step. And you'll get a million comments of people calling you out when you... (laughs) Exactly. Like, they're really going to be on top of, we got these rules right, we're doing editing, we've got this really professionalism thing going, whereas, you know, a volunteer at your local game store might not be the be-all and end-all guide to the rules that you're expecting. Sure. But I still think... So, I want to say that, yes, I would do this, but I go to a lot of conventions, and I almost never... In fact, I can't think of a single time where I've signed up to play a board game that was going to be taught to me. Even if it's just like a demo of the hot new thing, I just never do that. But all of Sydney's friends, and I guess our friends, that go do do this. They spend most of their day going from game to game to game, being taught how to play, and paying money to have those tickets to go and do that. And they love it. And they don't seem to have a problem with it. And I feel like I should do this more often because then I don't have to like teach myself these games. So I don't know. I, I feel like it's there's a value add. Even if they teach wrong, it's still you got a <laughs> chance to play the game. And playing the game is different than watching someone teach you how to play a game. And I think it's worth spending money for. I don't know. I, I think it's hard for us because we are people who are, I would say we're all kind of self-proclaimed rules nerds. Sure. We enjoy learning games. Yes. So I don't know that I would put us into like the typical group of gamers necessarily. So maybe we're just the wrong audience to ask here for this kind of thing. Something that I would enjoy at a game store that 
I would pay probably more than for somebody to teach me a specific game or have a specific game event um, would be kind of like a game open house night where you pay like kind of a cover fee of like 10 to $15 and they have snacks out, they have drinks out and they have games out and you can bring your own or they'll have games there where you can just, you know, sit and you can be, you know, guaranteed there will be enough people around that you can grab enough to play something and it's like an event for the evening. You don't have to plan dinner and you don't feel like you're getting kind of nickeled and dimed by the store for like, I paid, you know, $2 to play this game and then I paid another $1.75 for my Coke and then I paid a huge up price on my chips and then I had to go next door to get an actual sandwich because <laughs> they don't sell real sandwiches here. They only have chips and drinks, which are hugely marked up. It feels like, I don't know what it is about like the... Because I'd, I'd probably pay more than it was worth to go to something where everything is laid out for me than I would pay to have, like, each individual thing, if that makes any sense. Yeah, well, it's kind of like a mini convention at that point, right? You're saying, it's like, here's this entry fee, and your drinks and snacks are covered. And also, it's like being in the VIG room. Yeah, I actually kind of like that. With I, with games. <laughs> yeah. Cause, and you wouldn't, as a game store, you really wouldn't have to go too far. Because a lot of game stores can't actually make food because they're just not licensed for that. But you could order in pizza. Yeah. So, you know, you have beverages. It doesn't have to be fancy or, like, prepared on site. It can be, you know, the same kind of things they sell at the game store. It's just, like, you expect, you know, instead of everyone's going to come in and pay $2 to sit at the table. And then we expect to sell them each $5 worth of food. So that's $7 total. I'd rather pay $10 and go in and just have whatever. Yeah. Well, it also gives kind of a, a different environment where it, you go in and maybe there's not loud music because you don't want loud music when playing a game, but maybe there's music playing. Um, it's well lit. We're not talking club atmosphere. Maybe it's quiet with like a silent old like sci-fi movie playing yeah but like social like it makes it so you can be up and talking (laughs) to people and then sit down and play a game and not feel like you're missing out on anything i like that Hmm. tell tim i might tell Tim. copyrighted my idea (laughs) for those who don't know tim is (laughs) the our owner of our local game store called the gift of game so well my local game store um, that we all go hang out at because yeah, you're like 40 miles away from me. <laughs> I know. <laughs> out but the he's cornfield. Worth, he's worth taking a trip to. So, all right, let's pivot over to the other kind of pay to play, <sighs> which is, I think, potentially, probably, maybe more controversial. And this is when you have to play, when you have to keep putting money into a game to be competitive or for it to be a game that you can continue to play. Um, this can be pretty much any living card game. It doesn't even have to be competitive, but, you know, say like Arkham Horror, I love the Arkham Horror LCG, but every month I have to put more money in there so I can get the newest cards and get the newest storyline. This is a form of pay to play. Well, have to. If I want to get the new storyline. <laughs> That's true. Then, because it's basically a subscription model, you get that base box, and then there's going to be six packs. So it's like spread out over about six months. Each pack is $15. So you're talking, what, $30, $90 plus the base game. So you're talking like $120 for this season that you can play. 
And you're doing that every time they come out with a new, you know, campaign. But you do it because if you want to keep playing the game, that's what you do. Now, you could stop and you don't have to do that. And But it doesn't feel right if you're like suddenly like, I'm still playing this game, but there's new content that I don't have. So this is one form of pay to play. The other, I think that most people will kind of put into the pay to win category is something like Magic the Gathering or Pokemon, where if you want to be competitive at that game, you just have to keep buying cards and you have to keep buying the best cards to build the best decks and whatever those happen to be. Things like Shadespire and X-Wing, you know exactly what you're buying. It's not random. But as new stuff comes out, if you still want to be competitive in those games, you will likely have to buy something new, where even if you don't have to buy everything, you'll have to buy something. Um, And then there's Keyforge, which we'll leave as a separate thing. So these types of games, how do you feel about these kind of perpetual pay-to-win, pay-to-play type of games? I used to play them a lot, and then I stopped playing them because it was kind of like a money sink for me. It feeds into like two things, like... I'm like a kind of a completionist and like not having all the possible cards or combinations is annoying to me. And B, you kind of want like all the good, you want to find out what, what the good combos are and like what a good deck is. And then you pay potentially a lot of money to like get, get those combinations or like get those cards or, you know, figure out what that deck is. And then they keep updating it. Is the reason that you don't play anymore because it was too expensive to stay competitive? Too expensive to stay... Oh, I was never competitive. But I mean, (laughs) I was never good enough to be, like, competitive at these games. But it's like, oh, there's not, like, new cards. So the last, I guess, like, trading card game I played, quote-unquote, was Hearthstone. um, Because I got out of uh, Magic the Gathering and I also played, you know, Pokemon back in the day, too. Um, but you'd buy all these cards and then they would release like a new set and then a new set. And then they're like, oh, well, the, now like the, the older set is now no longer in competition anymore. So it's like now the two new sets and blah, blah, blah. And they had all these rules. And I was like, well, I have all these cards that I have all these cards. I can't play anymore. And that just kind of got annoying. And the same thing with like Pokemon. Like I just kept buying new, you know, new decks new new packs booster packs or whatever and it's just kind of like i realized what i liked about it was like the slot machine aspect of like yep what what great cards am i going to get now and i was like i need to remove myself from this because it wasn't it wasn't good like when you were playing pokemon did you pay to stay current or did you like just inherit cards like how, how did you fair in that whole collectible game phase um well at that time i was pretty young so it was like what little allowance money i had and begging my parents to like buy me more decks um that's basically how i stayed current but like the kids that had like more money or parents that were more lenient and they would buy like a lot more cards for them like they just obviously had better decks because they had better cards and i couldn't really compete on my meager budget as like a you know twelve year old or however old I was at that time. What about you, Kitty? I still feel that way as a thirty year old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I uh, guess I, I could compete if I really wanted to, but it's just too damn expensive. It's so expensive. 
everything we have talked about in this category except Keyforge, I have never really gotten into because I was never able to make a financial commitment to be competitive. And to me, playing the game is not fun unless you can at least, you know, be competitive. Like, you don't even have to win. You just have to, like, be in the game. Or at least feel like you are. Feel like you are. And for so many of these, it was not just I can't afford to buy enough packs to open enough cards to be competitive. It was I need to go on eBay and buy this specific card or I will never be competitive. And to me, that kind of lost the fun of it. Like the fun is to open and find and build for yourself. The fun is not to get on Google, find the deck list, purchase it, and put it together. And that seems to be what a lot of people do in these games. And I don't enjoy that. Yeah, for me, like Magic, I had to get out of just because it was just too expensive. I mean, I was was playing in late high school, early college range. Um, I guess it was just early college because it came out right after I graduated. But... It it was so expensive to stay current, and I wanted to be competitive. I like playing competitive games, but at the same time, once more and more cards came out, I couldn't process. I couldn't hold them all in my head. Like all the cards that I knew, I really liked. I knew them, but then okay, here's another 350 cards you have to learn, and also you have to buy them. Also, there's this new meta, and there's this new combo, and then once the internet started really like showing all the net decks and stuff it's like everyone's buying the same thing and the one thing i never want to do is buy cards that everyone else is buying just so i can have them so i can play the same deck that everyone else is playing because that's like there's no fun in that at all shadespire and x-wing are a little different because there's no random pack you don't got the slot machine aspect of things but at the same they didn't really intrigue me at all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, like I never even had the initial, like, oh, this is fun to collect. It's just like, I don't know. I, I guess I've never really gotten into them, so I can't say for sure. But they, I don't really see the appeal in it to want to get into it. Yeah. Personally. Well, X, X-Wing, you could just collect the models in X-Wing, and they're good enough where, like, you put them on your shelf, and, like, they're just looking cool. Um but I've never been much of a model person, and I think that's really where I all the miniature I fall stuff. out on the miniatures game. Is I I don't really want to collect all the models. Yep, and well, and that's the thing with these as well. Even if you were into it, there's still so much to think about and buy and track. And with X Wing, it was just a matter of I didn't think that there were going to be enough people that would want to play it. Like, I did enjoy the game the few times I played it. It's just like, this isn't going to be something I'm going to play a lot. And if I wanted to stay current and have satisfy that must collect everything feeling, it was going to cost me hundreds of dollars, probably a month to stay up on all the different figures because some of them were really crazy expensive. And especially if you wanted to get a, like a full play set of each of the different type of ship. So I kind of avoided that. So let's segue into Keyforge because we love Keyforge. And I am wondering whether or not you feel that Keyforge is a pay-to-win game. As in, if you want to be competitive in Keyforge, you just have to keep spending money. It depends on the format, and it depends on your luck. And I like that. 
because there are formats where you cannot pay to win. You just can't. Um, And there are some formats where you can pay a lot to get a good deck to be competitive. But those same formats, you know, somebody who got lucky can compete just as well as somebody who spent a lot of money. And you don't you can't split up the decks. So you can't you can go on eBay and buy a good deck, but you can't go on eBay and make sure everybody has the same deck. Right. So you can look for these combos. You can, you know, kind of get this meta going. You're looking for certain cards in combination with others, but anyone has the chance to open that deck as much as the next person. And I I don't know. I I have maybe, I'm going to guess, a 20th the number of decks that you have. Probably. And I have a couple decks that if they're not as good as your best decks, they're at least competitive with your best decks. Yes. And I I like that. (laughs) Yeah, I like the way you put it where it depends on the format. Because I completely agree. I think, well, before I say... Nobody can pay to win sealed. Yeah. You just can't. Fletcher, have you played enough Keyforge to have an opinion on whether or not Keyforge is pay to win? Um, yeah, I would say, I, I mean, I definitely have played as much as you guys, but I don't think it's really pay to win a sealed deck tournament or something like that. A lot more kind of like skill and luck, um, because you could you could just get like a really crappy deck or a really crappy deck for all the other decks that you play against. Or just like not have the skill to know like what other cards are out there that you could be going up against. Yep. So I completely agree. And like I said, Kitty, you when you said it depends on the format, because there are people out there that look at Keyforge and call it a pay-to-win game. And I believe that if you're looking at the Archon format, this is the format where you bring your own deck and you just play the deck you bring. This format does tend to favor the people who have either opened a ton of decks or have purchased like really good decks for more money than you would want to spend on a deck. And usually even in Keyforge, crazy expensive decks are maybe in the $200 range. Um, when you're looking at Magic the Gathering, I sold a single Magic card for $400. So it, it's still way less cost to have a super competitive deck in Keyforge. But when you're talking about Sealed, which is by far more popular than Archon in Vault Tours. A sealed Vault Tour will usually bring about 50% more people than the equivalent Archon Vault Tour. There is no pay-to-win in play there. You go, you pay your entry fee. You In a Vault Tour, you're getting three decks. In a store tournament, you're typically getting one. You're essentially buying those decks. Not necessarily. It, it, I mean, right. you can, I guess, usually in a Vault Tour, but... They could do it however they want. They could do it however they want. Typically, they'll do three and you pick one um, because then it throws a little bit of skill in there, like analyzing the decks you have and things like that. But however they do it, you are still getting the deck you're playing with at the tournament and everyone's in the same boat. And from what we can tell from just looking at decks played in sealed tournaments and more intense people than I have have done this, the decks that win sealed tournaments are almost never, actually, I've heard never, the best deck in the room. And that being like, if you were to choose a deck as an Archon deck, you would not choose the winner of these tournaments. 
and it it really is like if you look at the ratings of these things and how there's a number of different ways to rate these decks anybody has the chance to win in a sealed tournament and i love that about keyforge and i love that sealed ten dollars boom open up play your deck and even if you lose you still got to play three or four games of keyforge in an eight or 16 person tournament and had fun and that's worth ten dollars by itself. Even if you threw the deck out afterwards, it's still worth ten dollars of playing. You know, four even though hours of games. they're usually like twelve dollars because there's usually a two dollar fee on top of the deck cost. <laughs> sure, <laughs> but um, you're also likely to walk away with some prizes and extra stuff too, potentially if you do well. And not just the sealed format. I would say adaptive too can really level the playing field. Where you bring a deck, your opponent brings a deck. You play the deck you brought, then you play your opponent's deck, and then you bid chains for the third round. You know, sure, you might have one really good deck, one really bad deck, but if you know what you're doing, know how chains can affect play, you'll be able to win with skill, even if your deck is definitely the worst deck. Yep, And that is one thing that Keyforge does require. Like, yes, there is luck. You can open up a good deck. But more importantly is the skill. You need to know the cards that exist, how they play, how they how they combo, what you can expect to have happen even if you don't know what's in their deck. Knowing playing a lot of Keyforge will make you better at sealed tournaments. And it just a game like this where it's a competitive game, card game where the skill actually matters more than the amount of money you spend in certain formats. Is just really cool. And then you have the other formats where it's like, you know, I don't want to get really... You still have to have skill in Archon, though. You can't win, even if you bought the best deck in the world. There's you now one deck... You can buy the $200 deck and still lose because you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. There is one deck now that has won two Vault Tours. And the one that won at Adepticon won at the St. Louis Vault Tour this weekend. It's the first deck that's ever done it. Hopefully, that means that they're going to actually put in some real retirement rules in these things so that... We don't see this happening a lot. But even that deck has a a loss rate. There's There are times that that has not won, and it hasn't won every two, well, two where it's entered. I was going to say, because I believe, I believe that, that same, same deck played at Gen Con and was beat. Yeah. So there is skill. There's still a little bit of luck in there. Uh, but yeah, this is it's just there's so much you can do in this game. And I think it is as much a cure for the pay-to-play or pay-to-win as you can get in this kind of format. So I don't know. I think it's, I'm a big fan of Keyforge. What about, um? and this is just an aside, we'll just do a two minutes on this. And <laughs> Fletcher, you're probably have more to say on this than Kitty will, but maybe. What about paying for like mobile games? So pay to play is sort of a, you know, you pay for free and then you spend money to get certain things. How do you guys feel about those particular games? I typically hate it. Typically. <laughs> Why? It's, uh, like I said, uh, I don't know if I talked about it before on the show, but usually I feel like those types of games, unless it's like... Have you spent money on Hearthstone? I have, yeah. So that like those types of games, do you feel bad for spending money on that? I do now. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I felt bad for spending money on Hearthstone. I, don't, I wouldn't do it again. So is it because... Spending money makes you better or more competitive? Or is it that spending money on digital stuff is just not something you want to do? Uh, I'd spend money on digital stuff. 
like if you know a digital version of a board game like that's perfectly fine it's the it's the play to win you know kitty casino kind of aspect that i do not like but we're all addicted to or at least many many people enough to support the industry are addicted to right so like the digital version of of like the casino slot machine is like diablo right, right. you pay for the game you pay 60 bucks and then it's the slot machine of the game is like, what do you get to loot? Yeah. Well, As you're opposed paying for, your- for getting the game for free and then like paying for better loot drops. Right. But you're paying time in that situation. So I, I want to okay give Kitty a, 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 a chance. Fun. Right, 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 right. I want to give Kitty a chance. But so I play a game called World of Kings, which is an online or a mobile MMO. And in that, I pay the subscription, the monthly subscription that does a certain number of things that I could do if I had the time to play it out, but it just makes it a little bit quicker for me. But anyone who invests the time can also get the same things that I get with this. I don't feel bad for doing that because it's very hard in that game for people who are spending money, unless you spend a ridiculous amount of money, to be so much better than people who aren't spending money. However, in other games, it's very, very different. You spend a lot of money, or even not a lot of money, some money, and you're way better than the people who are totally free to play. All right, Kitty, your turn. So I've played um, two different types of mobile games, I will say. I am part of the Candy Crush world. And those ones, there's kind of two ways to pay. There's either you pay to get more lives. So you're limited in the number of lives you get. You usually get like five hearts, and then you play through them all. And then it's like, oh, if you want to keep playing, you have to pay... 99 cents or whatever to get more gold bars to buy yourself more hearts. And that doesn't bother me. I'm fine with that. It's just, you know, I'm paying for more time staring at my phone without having to click ads through. Um, The one that irritates me is when, oh, I see you are so close to beating this level. Do you want to buy this upgrade to be able to beat it right now? That I'm like, no, I I will never pay for those. I'll pay. Because it's a literal pay to win. It's literally pay to win. And that irritates me. Um, the other type of mobile game I've been a part of is I played Clash of Clans for a while. And that literally was you can just spend money to beat everybody else. Like, because you can put, some people are putting in like hundreds of dollars into these games to just kick everyone else's butt, and there's no way you can put in the same amount of time to get the same stuff that the people who are paying money get. I have a friend and so who, I don't play that anymore. <laughs> I have a friend who spends a couple hundred dollars a month on Clash of Clans. And like And I and it's the same as magic for me. I couldn't keep up. It wasn't fun. And you had to join, you know, like these I don't remember what it's called, but like guilds basically to be competitive, and if you're not putting in enough money, people will kick you out of their guild, and that was too irritating. Now, all that said, and talking about all of the paying to win, honestly, when you're talking about entertainment dollars, this is my final thought on this, when you're talking about entertainment dollars, how you spend your entertainment money is really up to you. I don't think anyone should feel bad hiring a DM, paying to for table space at a cafe, buying extra lives on Candy Crush, or buying... If you buy the striped hammer, though, I judge you. (laughs) (laughs) But 
if it's, it's the it, only judgment I have. But it's and it's worth judging. But and, and I think that in certain cases, you know, there's going to be always be those games where, like in Magic, and a lot of the mobile games, where there will be people just like, oh yeah, but you're just a pay to winner, so you, it doesn't you're you're invalid because you've done that. It's like you know something, if you've earned money and you're not using your credit cards, not spending money you don't have, if you've earned money and you want to be better at this game and it costs money, by all means, if you're having fun, go for it. If you're not having fun, don't though. So. That's that's my advice. Speaking of not paying, though, well, this is a great segue. We do have a couple pieces <laughs> of listener feedback. So why, Kitty, why don't you do the first one? All right. So Brian wrote in on our print and play episode, and he wants to suggest a print and play called Trimblem. Oh, no, Trimblem? this is a bad um, copy. It's just called Tribble, 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 like Star Trek Tribbles. Tribbles. Okay. <laughs> Got it. Chris can't copy and paste or somebody made a typo. Not going to mm-hmm. judge. He says it was originally made by Decipher during the Star Trek CCG card game era. But after Decipher closed up shop, a group of people formed the continuing committee and have been producing print and play cards to support the Star Trek CCG, both main game types and the first of the first and second edition as well as my beloved Tribbles. Tribbles is a super casual Uno-like game. Draw a hand of seven. Play progresses one card from a player's hand at a time in a chain from 1, 10, 100, 1,000, 10,000, and back to one until the chain is broken. If you can't play the proper denomination on your turn, you draw a card. If you still can't play, then your turn passes to the next player. The first person to run out of cards in their hand scores a number of Tribbles in play in their play pile while everyone else discards their hand, scores over five rounds, and you have the game. A lot of the fun comes in that each triple played has a power that affects the game. Play a triple with a go power, then play another card from a hand. Play a triple with a discard power and discard a card from your hand. There are triples to cycle cards from hand and back to the draw deck or from the discard deck and so many more. I think there are about 50 different powers, but most of the powers tell you what to do on the card. It's fun, it's free, and you can build customized decks. He also mentions that it takes a bit of work to print and cut out all the cards, but it's worth it. It's the customized deck that actually got me in this one. If you imagine Uno that has the ability to customize your deck, and I don't know if you customize it and everyone plays from the same deck, or if you're playing like your own custom deck. But it seems pretty It sounds like you create one deck and everyone plays with it. So, like, you know, you could make a whoops all reverses Uno deck. <laughs> but, yeah, so Brian, Brian also just wanted to do a shout out to these guys because apparently they're still going strong. And it's it seems like a really cool concept. Now, printing out a bunch of cards, eh? but if these are public files... Well, I I guess it just depends on where the art is from as to whether or not um, this would be something that you could have someone else print the cards for you. All right. We have one more from Sam. This is a more of a general question. And I like the way he starts this. He says, hi, Mr. Steele and Kitty and Josh. And it makes sense because his first line says, I've been listening to the backlog. I started at number four and have made it to a number 101. So Josh hasn't left yet thus far. I really love your show. 
I'm only 16, so I don't really have any spare money to buy games with, but I love playing the few I have and exploring games at game stores. I've also been getting my significant other into it as well, and I'm glad that I have that I can listen to you guys and learn stuff. Well, I don't know if you're learning much from us, but it'll be uh, we'll do our best. He continues, I have a long list of games to get once I have a real job and my own disposable income. I have a question, though. I looked all over your site (laughs) and my Overcast app, my podcast player of choice, and I cannot find any non-on-topic episodes after 100. I'm pretty sure you said you have a Kickstarter feed. I just don't know where that is. Am I missing something? Has something changed? How do I find the Kickstarter episodes? Thanks, Sam. So, it's really... Actually... If you keep listening, Sam, um, he'll get listen- here eventually, but by then you'll know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, he also says, hi, Mr. Steele, Kitty, and Josh. Right. Because he hasn't listened to these ones yet. He hasn't listened to anything with you in it yet. He's only to episode 101. <laughs> <laughs> I did email him back and I told him, I was like, hey, you should probably skip forward and listen to this next episode. Um, but the story behind that is when Kitty and I took over Dice Tower News at the beginning of this year, we stopped doing Kickstarter and we started doing Kickstarters inside of the Dice Tower News. Um, and in doing that, we stopped spending a ridiculous amount of money on Kickstarter as well. So we've saved thousands. I mean, we are only well, spending a moderate amount of Kickstarter <laughs> money now. We still maintain super backer status, both of us, don't we? Yes. I don't think that goes away. But yeah. No, it does I, after a year if you don't keep backing. Oh, son of a... Because I only recently gained it. All right. All right. All right. I'll keep... I'll, I mean, I'm going to back a couple games a year at least. I think I'm up to seven this year, maybe eight. So, um, but yeah, when we were doing the Kickstarter episode, I always felt bad talking about a Kickstarter that I didn't back. So every week... I was backing one or two, and Kitty was backing one, and that's just a lot of money to spend. Yeah, you're like backing two or three a week. Yeah, games. Yeah, yeah. And he was not backing the like twenty dollar card games that I back. <laughs> yeah. And I'm starting to get. I have so many downstairs that, ugh, it's a mess. Sam, tell you what, email me. Tell me what your favorite couple games are, and I'll see if I can hook you up with something because <laughs> I have a few extras. Thank you for listening. (laughs) (laughs) I I just got an alarm that says I should post a podcast. Um, All right. By speaking because of that alarm, I think we should probably end the show then, right? I think it's time. So we have a contest going on right now. It is our Memorable Gaming Moments Contest. The contest goes until September 18th. So you have to have your memorable moment sent to us by that point and then we are going to pick a few each of us are going to pick a couple and then we will share them online so or on on the air so expect that if you email us one of your stories let us know if we shouldn't mention names or whatever um if you've already sent something in too late um you can try to send it to us and we'll 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 do what we can to make sure that we uh don't make anyone upset but by sending us, you will be entered into, if we choose you as one of our top two or three apiece, um, you will be entered into a $100 gift card drawing. So if you're chosen, you really basically have a one in 10 chance of, of winning. And if you're not chosen, well, everybody who enters and all of our patrons will be entered into a separate drawing for a $50 gift card that, so just 
send us a story. You have a chance to win. Um, make them around 500 words or less so that they're actually readable on air. And I think that's about it. We'll announce the winner on our September 24th show. Where do they send those emails? Oh, right. Someone asked about that. <laughs> um, you can send your emails always to feedback at tabletopgamedoc.com. Tabletopgametalk.com. And if you look inside the show notes in your favorite podcaster, whether it be Overcast, iTunes, um, was, there's a couple other ones, the Android, it's whatever. It's Apple Podcasts now. Way to go. Apple, Stitcher. whatever. Wherever you happen to listen to your podcast, there is a way of seeing the description of the podcast. And our email addresses and our Twitter handles and any links that we might bring up are always in those show notes. So you can always scroll and find our email address there. So you don't have to remember feedback at tabletopgametalk.com. You can just look and say, oh, look, it says right here, feedback at tabletopgametalk.com. Put in the subject memorable moments. It makes it easier for me to find. And yeah, that is it. So you can follow us. At, on Facebook at Tabletop Game Talk Podcast. Twitter is Tabletop Game TLK. Kitty is Lawful Good Mom. Fletcher is Net Fletch. I am Game Master Chris. And speaking of Apple Podcasts slash iTunes, uh, leave us a review because those help bring us up in the ratings and that's cool. And if you don't want to leave us a review, then you can give us money at tabletopgametalk.com slash Patreon. See how we did that reversed? Tabletop Game Talk is a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Thanks for listening, and remember, we love your feedback. So email us with comments or questions about today's topic at feedback at tabletopgametalk.com. Am I really reading all of these? You've been gone for three weeks, yes. But I read them before. <laughs> <laughs> I only missed one episode. All right, fine. Finally, a huge thank you to our patrons. Adam Harrison, the SGC, Jason Strong, Terrence Hiltner, Stephen Seitz, Michael Ohl, Brian Arnold, Sean P. Kelly, C. Marie, Rudy Liu, Benjamin Heimowitz, Jerry Huang, Stephen Phillips, Caleb O'Brien, Jennifer Enkelbrecht, Justin Willard, Christopher Dong, Jason Marks, Jeremy Fisher, David Radke, Nick Quickstra, David Sellers, Jason Rodney, Michael Yanikowski, Miles Clark, Cindy Loom, or Lum, Phil Schwartzel, Ann Reynolds, Eric Huffman, Adrian Dong, Christopher Vincent, Nate Baz Lindham, Sean Peck, Eric Selander, Mike Smith, Trevor Davis, Tim Vernon, Chris Lowe, Joe Hoover, Timothy Gross, Clem Cotter, Jesse Wachowiak, Emil Jewel Jacobson, Marina Stevens, Brady Meltzer, Gregory Huber, Don Gilstrap, Stephen Judd, is that Leanne Vel- Velhurst, Christopher Let- What? I don't think we ever say it Gross. right. Yeah. <laughs> Christopher Letgo, John Lewis, Joe Rackstad, Ron Nelson, Neil McLaughlin, and Sarah Wentworth. Until next week, keep playing games and having fun. Happy birthday, Kitty! Thanks! You're older We're now. We're recording on my actual birthday. On your actual Did you do anything fun for your birthday? I had a very fun dinner at my family's house, and I got a professional gel manicure set, and I'm very excited to go play with it right now. <laughs> gel manicures. So for my for your birthday, I got a terraforming Mars printing. <laughs> <laughs> Oh boy! So it's really kind of cool. They did a pretty good job with this. So, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, trying it out, and I will let you guys know. Have you played any print and plays yet? <laughs>